0: following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church contact. All right, so week two of our series, hashtag no filter. If you weren't here last week, you missed a great Sunday at Three Strands. But if you weren't here, um, I want to encourage you to go back on our podcast and listen to week one because this is really like one big long sermon week after week and they just kind of piggyback off each other. And so I hope you'll go back and listen to any piece you might miss along the way. But um, it would be hard for you to follow in your Bible today. We're going to be at a lot of different spots. And I want to just help reassure the um, obsessive compulsive note takers in the room. I know we've got some of those. Okay, So if you're one of those, it's going to be very hard for you to keep up this week with the screen, okay? So I want you to feel completely free. Just get your phone out, snap a picture of the screen, or track me down afterwards. I'll give you a copy of my notes. But it might be hard for you to jot down all this or type all this into your phone today. Um, last week was a lot of kind of like preaching style, and today is gonna be a little bit more teaching style. So we're gonna cover a lot of God's Word. I'm gonna try to give you guys some cold, hard facts and help you be able to go out of here today, um, really be able to put some things into practice to battle insecurity in your life. And uh, so if you weren't here for week one, let me just recap for you real quick what we talked about last week. Um, I asked this question to everybody. I'm going to be asking it every week of the series. It'll be on the screen, but here's the question. You ready? What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? Because the whole point of this series is for us to see ourselves like God sees us. And it's hard to do because a lot of people say a lot of things about us. In fact, even just floating through our own mind, we hear a lot of names that we would call ourselves. You start to hear those when you sleep, hear those when you're awake. You start to think everybody else is thinking those same things about you. All of a sudden, your identity gets completely wrapped up in your worst mistakes or your ugliest habits, and you become known as those things. You become known as your worst moments, and even to yourself, you feel that, and your whole identity gets rewritten, but that isn't what God sees when he sees you. It isn't what God thinks when he thinks about you, and so we want to kind of set the record straight and give you the tools you need to go out of here and actually see what God sees when he looks at you, and think what God thinks when he thinks about you. We want you to shift your perspective, and if you were here Last week, I said, hey, just we're only one shift in perspective away from reaching our full potential. And that's the truth. Your full potential is just one shift in perspective away. It, it's it. It's simple. It, it's like, I said it last week, it's like a Rubik's Cube. I can stand up here, and in about 30 seconds, I could kind of tell you what to do. But it might take you your whole life to kind of unscramble it and figure it out. And that's kind of what following Jesus is like. It's simple stuff to talk about. It really is, but it's really hard to go out of here and do it all, isn't it? And so that's kind of what we're looking at today, and this is no exception to that. Maybe more than any other week of the series, this is a hard one for us to stomach, a hard one for us to deal with. How do I deal with insecurity? It's ironic because we live in the wealthiest nation in history. We live in a very successful, some would argue maybe the freest or one of the freest societies ever. Um, We have almost anything you could want. Um, Everything's at your disposal. You, You don't even know like how rich we are compared to so many other places in the world. And yet we are the most medicated, most anxious, most worried, most insecure people. Why is that? And if I were to ask you this question, like, are you insecure? Maybe you'd be too insecure to even raise your hand. I don't know. But there was a study done recently that found 95% of people admit to feeling insecure. Now, you can make with this if you want whatever you want out of this. But the exact same study found that 5% of people are prone to chronic lying. You can put that together however you want, Tom. That's like next level math on that. So you can figure that out. But the truth is we all, if Kenny had said that, Michelle, everybody would have laughed. And he's not here today. So when he listens to this online, I want him to know that everybody laughed. when I. All right, so, okay. So, but the truth is we all struggle with insecurity. Even the seemingly most confident person, the person you look at and you think, they're the best looking person I know. They got the most money of anybody I know. They seem super confident all the time. Everybody struggles with insecurity, some more than others, but everybody feels it. Everybody, and why wouldn't you feel it when everything around you seems to be so out of control? I mean, really, what can you control around you? What can you make turn out the way you want it to turn out? Very little, right? And so why would you ever kind of give all of your trust or all of yourself or all of your effort to someone or something that you can't even believe wholeheartedly will really work out the way you want it to work out. This is a book I got at home called Gen Z, and they gave it to us at teen camp two years ago, I think. But um, it's a good book. It's packed full, like, statistics and uh, commentary on Generation Z, which Generation Z is pretty much right now anybody that's between the ages of, like, 10 and 27, which is our entire life group, except us. (laughs) We're, like, the old people in our group. And so uh, they, let us, they let us know that, too. It's pretty hurtful. But um, so it's like anybody—and so we've got kids at home that are kind of coming into that age right now. And then we've got a whole life group uh, of unruly people that are in that age group now, too. And so, like, it's a very interesting topic to me. And so I've, like, tried to read through this book and um, kind of see how they're different from me because um, I am Generation X. And so uh, I try to like know how they're different and they're pretty different than me. But one of the alarming things, and this isn't even really just true of them, I find this to be true increasingly of even myself and people in my age group, but they just don't believe that security is a real thing. Almost all generation Zers don't expect to get one job and keep it their whole life. And and most of them don't believe that they'll be able to find a job that will pay all their bills. And so they are convinced that at least two people will have to work just to cover basic essential needs. They don't believe that their family will stay together their whole life. They've seen so much divorce and so many second and third and fourth marriages. They just don't believe deep down in their heart that even their parents will be there for the long run. In fact, the truth is, they don't even know, most of them, if tomorrow they'll wake up and be the same gender. They don't believe anything is for certain, that anything will last their whole life. They don't believe there is such a thing in this world as security. And almost all of them admit to not, they don't work to make ends meet, and they don't work so that one day they can retire. They work to make some money so they can go out on the weekend and experience life to the fullest. Because security isn't a real thing to them. Is it any wonder when our culture thinks that way and has observed all those things that we all struggle with insecurity? I mean, if I can't count on my job to be there tomorrow, if I can't count on my mom or dad to be there tomorrow, if I can't even count on my own gender to be there tomorrow, how could I count on anything? Do you get it? That everything seems temporary now. And so insecurity runs rampant. And insecurity is like a tormentor. Anybody who struggles with it really deeply knows that it's like paralyzing to you. That when you feel that intense insecurity inside, you either want to do one of two things. You want to go run and hide somewhere. Or you want to put on this phony you and try to front like you're not as scared as you think you are. And either way, you're living this kind of incomplete, unfulfilling life. Insecurity. There was this story, and insecurity is all throughout the Bible. Just for the record, this is also for the note takers in the room. I will not be able to cover this morning everything the Bible has to say about insecurity, because there are literally hundreds of passages where God deals with this subject of us feeling insecure. But I'm going to do my best to give you kind of a Cliff Notes approach to it today. And uh, I found this one story in the Bible where Jesus' closest followers felt insecure. I wanted to just read you the story this morning. Let me kind of set the scene, then I'll read through the two paragraphs of it so you can hear it. But Jesus is talking to this large crowd of people, and then somehow he and just his closest followers kind of break off to have a little powwow for a minute, okay? And so there's a large group of people within eyeshot, but then there's Jesus and his kind of closest 12 friends, followers with him, right? And uh, he starts to tell them some stuff they don't like. Now remember, these guys have walked away from everything in their life to be around Jesus. They've given up their jobs. They've given up their families. They've given up any sense of normalcy. And here they go traveling around Israel with this teacher who they now believe is the son of God. And they're trusting him with everything they got, okay? And then Jesus gets them off by theirself and he's gonna start telling them that it's about to all fall apart that he's about to leave them, that he's about to be killed, that every all their worst nightmares are going to come true, and they're going to be left all alone. Now, doesn't that feel like the kind of stuff that would trigger some insecurity? Okay? And I want to read that story to you. It's in Mark chapter 8. Let me just read through. I'm going to start in verse 31. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Here's how that goes. Then Jesus began to tell them, that he must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked, now check this out, I love this. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter, it's one of his disciples, took him aside. Now, um, I just need, (laughs) man, you always sit in the front. I feel like I always use you, but can you just come up here for a second? It feels like I overuse Michael, but he's always in the front, so that's why. So I right, just stand right here. This is going to be hard for you to believe, but this is Peter, okay? Peter, because, I mean, yeah, okay. You fish, right? You fish? Yeah, okay. So, uh, so Jesus pulls Peter aside, okay? And then I'm going to, let me tell you what happens, then I'll read it to you, okay? So he pulls Peter aside, and Peter starts chewing him out. Peter's like, yeah, that's good, that's good. don't cuss at me all right so Peter starts chewing him out he's like no this is not right you're saying the wrong thing this is not how it's supposed to be you're supposed to stay with us forever you're supposed to keep us safe you're supposed to rescue us I thought you were the redeemer the messiah the savior the one who would help us and set us free everything you're saying sounds wrong Okay. Then Jesus, I'm going to show you this would happen. So Jesus is having this conversation. I don't know if he's like rolling his eyes or what he's doing. It doesn't say. But then he stops. He's like stops him. And he looks at his other disciples as if to kind of be like, you need to hear this, you know. And then he turns back to Peter. And I want you to hear what he says to him. Okay, Stay there just for a second. Okay. So then Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his other disciples as if to be like, you get this guy, you hear what he's saying? Everybody, you got to hear this. I'm about to squash him. All right, come here. And so he kind of calls the 12 around him. And then he turns back around and looks at Peter and he says, get away from me, Satan. (laughs) It's like, hey, we're supposed to be friends, I thought. He just called me the devil, you know. He's like, get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things from a human point of view, from a different perspective than you need to see it from. You get it? You're seeing things from a human point of view, not from God's. Okay, then he calls the whole crowd in. He's like, all of you need to hear this. Okay, you can sit down. Thank you. I appreciate that. You, you, get, so you see that scene, right? Peter starts chewing him out, and Jesus, like, Jesus is probably thinking like, you don't even know what you're saying, dude. Again, here we go again. And so he's like, guys, you got to hear this. He tells them, he's like, no, you're seeing everything the wrong way. And then he kind of clicks and he's like, no, everybody needs to hear this. So he gets the whole crowd's attention. And then this is what he says to all of them. You ready? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross. That's Israeli code talk for be willing to die. Be willing to die and follow me if you try to hang on to your life to your way of thinking to your insecurities to your perspective you'll lose it all but if you give it all up for my sake and for the sake of the good news you will save it all now listen verse 36 what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul do you get it This human point of view, this perspective that we're all looking at the world with, it's going to cost us everything if we don't shift it. But if we shift it, we'll gain everything. Is anything worth more than your soul? This is the whole kind of crux of this conversation with Jesus. Why does he do this? It's because he knows that like, I know this seems heavy. Give up everything? Change the way I think? Do whatever. Be willing to die to follow you. It seems heavy, but it's like Jesus knows that the only thing that really matters is your soul. And so it is heavy. It is deep. It is important. And he's like, don't waste your time on all the stuff that doesn't matter. All that matters is your soul. John Ortberg wrote it this way. Your soul is what integrates your will, your mind, and your body into an actual life. It's you The other parts mean nothing without it. And you all know this to be true. The hospital can keep your brain going and keep your heart pumping, but if the soul is gone, is that life? Are you really living? So they can put you on a machine and pump blood through you while you lay in a bed? So your body works and you can go out and do things, but the lights are all off inside and you have no joy or fulfillment or peace? Is that life? And Jesus knows this. All that matters is your soul. Don't trade your soul for all this other stuff you're looking at. He knows it's a big deal. So he cuts right to it. Think about it for a second. If I'm trusting in my mind for my security, what happens when I start to forget stuff? If I'm trusting in my body for my security, what happens when it starts to break down? If I'm trusting in my passion or my desire to achieve or to accomplish, what happens when I fail at something? What happens? I can tell you what happens. Insecurity sets in. That's what happens. Is it not? All right, so maybe you're with me. Maybe you're like, I agree. I feel insecure too. We're, we're all insecure. And, and I don't want to be like Peter. I don't want Jesus, like everybody, like, get over here so you can listen to me chew him out. Like I don't want to do that. I want to do the right thing. I want to overcome insecurity. Where do I start? Where do I start? How about if we all just start with a simple little two-verse prayer that David prayed in the Old Testament that dealt with insecurity? Can I read it to you? It's in Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. Now listen to what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, stay with me for a second because what he didn't say is what all of us pray, which is, because I think there's a lot of people that pray about their anxiety and a lot of people that pray about their insecurities. I think some of them aren't even Jesus followers. They just don't want to be anxious anymore. And so they're like, I'll do anything. I'll pray, I'll do whatever. But our prayer often sounds like this. Search me, oh God. Look, Look inside of me. And know and see all of my anxious thoughts, all of my insecurities, and then take them all away. But that isn't what he said. He said, look on the inside of me, God. See all of my anxiety, all of my insecurity, all the things that are messed up inside of me. And then show me how I need to obey you to make them all go away. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know how many of us are praying that prayer because it's a lot easier to say i feel insecure because of what they did or i feel insecure because of the circumstances around me or i feel insecure because of all the trauma in my life but i never stop to say maybe i feel insecure because i've been doing the plan opposite of the way god says to do it in some area search me o oh god look at all my anxiety Look at all my insecurity and then point out anything inside of me that offends you and lead me in the opposite direction. Because apparently all the things I'm doing that are contrary to the way you say to do them, all the things I'm doing that offend you, apparently those things lead me to anxious thoughts and insecurity. I don't know if we pray like that. So let me ask you this question today. It's kind of the question of the day. Are you willing to ask God to examine you and point out anything in you that offends him and then do what he says to do? That's it. That is the cure for insecurity. Now, I'm going to give you some details and some ways you can do that when you go out here, but that's where it all starts. Now, let me give you just a quick little like paradigm. I took this from John Maxwell. He's kind of like a, a leadership expert. He does a lot of seminars and teaching on leadership and how to run a business and all that kind of stuff. But let me just give you, as quick as I can fly through this, he does this thing um, in his book, one book called Needs, Feelings, Behavior. Needs, Feelings, Behavior. And he lists all these needs that we have as humans. And then he says, what happens when you feel like they're not being met? right? And what kind of happens inside of you? And then what do you do on the outside with those feelings? So I'm going to give you several of them that he put in his book. See if this doesn't sound like us, okay? So all of us have a, a need to, to feel like a sense of belonging, a sense of belonging, okay? And when we don't feel a sense of belonging, then on the inside we feel insecure, okay? And when we feel insecure, we tend to react or behave with compensation or overcompensation. Now this can show up in two ways. Either I run and hide and I stick my head in the sand because I feel so insecure, because I don't feel like I belong. You get it? Or like I said at the beginning, you put on this mask of, oh, I'm good. I'm feeling great. I, I feel and so you come into the doors of a church and everybody's like, How are you doing today, brother? And you're like, feeling great, better than I deserve, brother. And on the inside, you're like, I feel like a piece of dirt. So you either hide physically or you hide emotionally. You get it? I have this sense of, I need a sense of belonging. If I don't get it, I feel insecure. I overcompensate. Here's the next one he gives. I need a sense of worth, a sense of worth. And if I don't have a sense of worth, then I feel inferior. And when I feel inferior, everything turns into a competition. Now I got to prove that I'm good enough i got to prove that I'm worthy. i got to prove that not not only you should accept me, but God should accept me. So everything becomes about my performance, my behavior, what I do, and I'm going to try to achieve as much as I can. Everything's a competition to try and overachieve. We all have a need to feel a sense of competence. And if we don't feel competence, then we feel inadequate. And then if we feel inadequate, we start to compare to everybody else around us when we do that, we get bitter inside. We feel no joy. And some of us are walking around just like that. We feel incompetent, unequipped, unable to do anything of value in the world. And so we feel inadequate. We start to compare ourselves. To our own, I'm not like them and they're better than me. And look what they have and I don't have. And our whole life gets bitter and joyless. We all have a sense, a need that we have for a sense of purpose. And if we don't have that feeling met or that need met, then we feel insignificant. And if we feel insignificant, then we get compulsive. And so we start to try everything. I have this compulsive need to try everything. So I'll jump out of anything. I'll climb anywhere. I'll go anywhere. I'll take on any risk. Anything I've got to do to feel significant in this world. We all have this need to have a sense of certainty in our life. And if we don't feel that that need is being met, then on the inside, we start to get instability inside. And when we feel instability, instability we get real controlling because we don't like instability. And so that, that controlling nature, here's how it plays out in most people's lives. You ready? Some of us have to pick our feet up off the grounds for this, but this is how it plays out. Usually, usually it plays out in, in like we won't commit to anything. We won't commit to anything because if I commit to something, then I can't control it. I just have to do it because I said I'd do it. So we won't commit to anything. Or we go the other way and we just start to hoard everything at home. So look, let's be honest. Look at your life. If your life is real selfish, how do you know if your life is real selfish? I can tell you real simple. It's not me saying it, It's just God's Word. We don't have time to look at all of it today. But how do you know if you're selfish? You ready? Here we go. If you don't give God the first 10% of your money, you're selfish. If you don't go beyond that and give generously to people in your life who need help, you're selfish. You're using your finances for yourself. I'm not calling you the devil like Jesus called Peter. I'm just telling you what God's word says. That's hoarding. That's selfishness. God preaches to us against that so we won't be selfish. That's why I give. I don't give my money so you'll have better breakfast on Sunday morning. I don't really care what kind of breakfast you have. I mean, I love you and all, but I give my money because I don't want to end up selfish and greedy. So I want to obey God in that area. You with me? The reason I commit to serving roles at my church is not because I love you so much, I just want to do a bunch of stuff for you. It's because I'm trying to train my heart to follow God's commands, to serve the body of Christ. That's why I do it. I'm not doing it for the pat on the back. You don't ever have to tell me I do a good job. It doesn't matter to me if you think I do a good job or not. I mean, I'm just doing it for the Lord. So that should be our attitude, right? That's what gives us our stability. All right, why does all this matter? Here's why it matters. Because Jesus is after your soul. And this is the kind of stuff that goes on in our soul, deep down. It's the stuff that's stealing our soul from us. He didn't make you to live in these kind of feelings. He made you for something better than that. He made you to matter. Do you get it? How do I know that? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us brand new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You're God's masterpiece. you get it? That's why God made you. Not to feel insecure. Not to beat yourself up. I want to read you a quote from a book. The author's name is um, uh, Alyssa Morgan. It was written in 2017. I think the name of the book is What Every Child Needs or something like that. But I just want to read you this um, little paragraph from her book. Here, its it'll be on the screen too. But don't try to copy it down. You won't be able to keep up, I don't think. But You can take a picture of it or get my notes afterwards if you want. When a child's security needs are not met, It will always manifest in at least one of three ways. You tell me if this isn't true or not. If you like check out kids' lives or in abusive situations or they don't feel safe. Here's the three ways. They will either adopt unhealthy habits, they will feel frequent fear, or they will begin to lose drive. Is that or is that not true? Now she goes on to say this. While the physical causes may or may not be identified, it is rightly concluded that the child experiences a sense of parental rejection. These children will exhibit physical, developmental, or psychological problems. And I can guarantee you that almost every kid you find that's having behavioral problems, psychological problems, physical problems, it stems from this. They don't feel safe. They feel insecure. Okay, let me read you a quote from another book. This is from Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. They famously wrote the book called Boundaries. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But, and then they wrote several spin-off books from that, like Boundaries for Teens, Boundaries for Spouses, Boundaries for Kids. This is from their book, Boundaries for Kids. But listen to this. Somebody's worshiping. Worship! Go, I like it. All right, let me read you this from their book. A mother and a father have the ability to contain a child's scary feelings. A child tends to feel alone with their feelings and believes they are bigger than themselves. When the mother or father takes the child up in their arms and rocks them, they take, they take in the child's scary feelings. The child now has a place to put them with someone who isn't afraid of them. They exchange the scared feelings for calmness and love. Let me read that line again. They exchange the scared feelings for calmness and love. It's as if the child dumped toxic waste into the parent and, and received good food in return. Now all you need to do to make both those quotes make sense for today is just swap out the word child for you. Because that's exactly what God wants to do for us. That's why he talks so much about anxiety and insecurity in his word. That God wants you to come to him And let him rock you. He wants you to take all the toxic stuff on the inside and give it to him in exchange for calmness and love. Do you get it? If you'll let him. All right, so how do I do it? Let me give you a quick blueprint on how to go out of here and practically start to overcome insecurity, how how to deal with it. Here's the keys to it. I'm going to give you six of them. Here's the first one. You ready? First, got to identify the trigger or triggers. Maybe there's more than one thing identify where the insecurity is coming from, okay? Now, I want to just say, you can't do this on your own. It's impossible. You have to have help. You definitely have to have God's help, but you also need other people's help who love God. Let me, let me read it to you in, in the Bible. Psalm 119, starting verse 18. Look at verse 18, if I can find it. Open my eyes, Lord, to see the wonderful truths in your instruction. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instruction. In other words, there's something about what God says that I can't see unless he opens my eyes to it. You get it? So I got to ask him to do that. Look later on in the chapter at verse 125, I think. Give discernment to me, your servant, then I will understand your laws. You get it? I can't understand it on my own. I need him to open my eyes so I can see it. I need him to give me discernment. I need to surround myself with some people who have the right to tell me what's screwed up in me, who have the right to look at my life and say, hey man, every time you're around them, you act this way. Every time you're there, you do this. Every time you get this way, this happens. And you not hate their guts for it. Is there, let me say it this way. Is there anybody in your life that's allowed to tell you something you're doing the wrong way without you hating them for it? Or is that how proud we all are? Then nobody can confront me on anything because I'm perfect. Or I'll figure it all out on my own. No, you won't. Keep on being insecure then. You got to identify the triggers. You need help with it. All right, number two, then you got to see the lie. I was reading this one author this week on this topic of seeing the lie. And I love how she put it. She she called it, instead of seeing the lie, she said, you got to recognize the hiss. And she went the whole way back to the Garden of Eden, and she said, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had everything. It was perfect. And here comes the serpent, the devil disguised as a snake, hissing in their ears. Did God really say that? Did God really tell you not to eat from that tree? Did God really say, that doesn't sound right. God sounds bad. Our world's doing the same thing today. Everything that is good and true and beautiful about God, they want you to believe it's ugly and hate filled. A good God wouldn't say that's wrong. A good God wouldn't tell you to give up that. A good God, He's supposed to be so beautiful. He looks so ugly to me. Ss, ss, you got to see it. You got to recognize the hiss. You got to see the lie. What's the lie you hear? Is it the lie that I'm only as good as what I do? Is it the lie that I'll never be any different than I am right now? Is it the lie that I'm all alone and nobody understands how I feel? What is the lie that you've bought into? You've got to identify what triggers your insecurity, then see the lie. Then three, you've got to choose to act on the truth. You know what's interesting? When the FBI is training agents to look for counterfeit dollar bills, counterfeit 20s, counterfeit hundreds, they spend almost no time looking at fake currency. Instead, they study the real thing so long that they get to recognize what the actual bills look like. So it's easier to spot the fakes. How are you going to act on the truth if you're not bombarding your life with the truth? So, for some of you, that might look like being like, I got to come to church more than once every month. I got to get into a life group. I got to start reading my Bible every day. I got to get around some people who are going to speak truth into my life and not just whatever they feel. I got to get my brain bombarded with truth so I know what it is, and then I got to act on it no matter how I feel. Because I don't live by feel, I live by faith. You with me? It doesn't really matter how I feel about it. So I, I, I identify the triggers, I see the lies, and then I choose to act on the truth no matter how I feel about it. You get it? Stay, stay with me. I know this is kind of a lot and hard to keep up with. Number four, then I embrace my uniqueness. Do you, do, did I skip Proverbs 30 on there, Lee? Just stick up Proverbs 30, verse five. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Wouldn't it be nice if God protected me from my insecurity? If he put a shield in front of me, well, what if I trusted that every word he says is true? What if I acted on his truth instead of what I felt like doing? All right, now go to the next one there. What was it? Embrace your uniqueness, right? Embrace your uniqueness. Psalm 139, verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Some translations say, Thank you, Lord, for making me so fearfully and wonderfully. You've made me so fearfully and wonderfully. I'm so marvelous. Thank you. Start to embrace your uniqueness. God did not make a mistake when he made you, so stop trying to be somebody else. Stop trying to front like you're something you're not. God made you just the height he wanted you to be. He didn't make you ugly. He didn't make you stupid. He didn't make you incompetent. He didn't make you worse than anybody else. He didn't give you less money than he intended for you to have. He made you just how he wanted you to be. Just embrace your uniqueness and press into it. Stop trying to be somebody else. I love how Isaiah puts it. He says, would a clay pot say to the potter, why'd you make me like this? No, it's ridiculous. I love that whole chapter. Isaiah chapter 45 should read it sometime. He goes on to say like, how awful would it be if a son looked at his dad and said, dad, why'd you even make me like this? Or if a a, a child looked at their mother and said, mom, why would you even create me? Whew. How hurtful that would be to the parents, right? How dare we look at God and be like, God, why would you make me? like You screwed up when you made me. No, he didn't. He made you just. Press into your uniqueness. Live the way God made you. Do what he wants you to do and be who he wants you to be. He made you just to be you. Here's the fifth one. You ready? This is, I think, the hardest one to piece together, but develop a sound mind. Develop a sound mind mind. After you've embraced your uniqueness, acted on the truth, seeing the lie, identified the triggers, develop a sound mind. Look at 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what's that mean? I'll give you a quick little like sound mind formula, okay? It's a little hard to keep up with, but just stay with me. A little sound mind formula. How do I get a sound mind? Well, it comes down to these four things, ready? It's how I focus, how I focus, how I talk to myself, how I talk to myself, what I do with my emotions, and what I do with my actions. Now just stay with me on all four of those for a second, because what, I'm going to read you a passage from the Bible. What, what Paul's really going to say about this is this, ready? You get to choose what you focus on. You get to choose how you talk to yourself. You get to choose what emotions you believe and which ones you realize are not true. And you get to choose how you act. It's all a choice. None of it's forced on you. You get to pick all of it. Now I want to read you a passage where all four of those things are put together. Now you see if you can't hear in this passage that all those things are an option for you to pick. That they don't just happen to you. Ready? Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. It's a command. It's not an option. You get to pick it. It doesn't just happen to you. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all that He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace. You know what God's peace is? The opposite insecure, right? Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. If only I could get some peace. If only I could stop being so anxious and so insecure. You've got to choose what you're going to focus on. Fix your thoughts on things that are good and true and right and beautiful, just like God says to You've got to decide, every emotion I feel, while it's real, it might not be true. Right? And I get to pick that. And so I can look at my emotions, and I have to talk to myself. You talk ourselves out of a lot of stuff, what if we start talking ourselves into some stuff? And so I get to choose to talk myself into rejoicing, and to talk myself into um, talking and singing about things that are worthy of praise. I get to pick that, just like Paul says in that passage. I get to keep putting into practice the things I'm learning from God's Word. It's all a choice. Do you get it? It's how I develop a sound mind. And then here's the last one. i got to trust God. They're all worthless if you don't trust God because we walk by faith. So Jeremiah, this is a great chapter too if you want a good chapter to read. Jeremiah chapter 17. But Jeremiah chapter 17, I'm just going to read you one paragraph from it starting in verse 5. Listen to what God says about those who do trust Him and those who don't trust Him. Then we'll come back to what is trusting God. You ready? This is what the Lord says, cursed are those who put their trust in humanity, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. That's exactly what insecurity feels like. It feels like you're stunted, you're stuck somewhere in the middle of a desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Do you get it? If I trust God, nothing can hurt me. Nothing can wreck me. Nothing can make me insecure. I could lose everything. I could have it all stripped away from me, and I could still be like, God still got me. God still got a plan for my life. God still got greater things in my future. I don't have to worry about any of it. If it all goes to pot from now to the day I die, I get an eternity of makeup time in heaven. So, how bad could it go? How do I know that? I love that when I see that in people's lives. I love it when I get to show that. But to show that, you have to have really crummy things happen to you. And nobody wants that, right? This past Friday night, I was talking with a guy in Somerset. He's just my age. He's a little younger than me, actually. I think he's 42. And his wife died in June. She was 41. They have two kids, just about our kids' ages, really. I think they're like second grade and fifth grade or something like that. But his wife died in June. So it's only been like, you know, three months since his wife died. And so uh, they upped and moved here to be closer to some family. And he was like getting teary-eyed. Tell me about it because, you know, I stuck my foot in my mouth a little bit. I was like, hey, what's your wife do? You know, I was like, (laughs) and then he's like, my wife actually died in June from leukemia. And I said, that's crazy. How old was she? He said, 41. And I said, uh, I said, was she sick for like a long time? And he said, "Uh, no, she didn't. She wasn't even sick. She went to the doctor for like a yearly checkup and they took blood to do blood work and found there was something off. So they came back and tested her and she had leukemia and 40 days later she was dead. And she wasn't even sick when she went in. And I was like, man, what was that like? I asked her, I was like, how do you guys, like?" You, I said to him, I was like, you seem so emotionally healthy and stable. And he started like to tear up and he was like, I'm not, man. He's like, when I'm alone, it hurts so bad. And... Uh, But he said something. I probably won't get it exactly how he said it. I can't remember exactly how he said it now. But he said, I just have to keep trusting that God's got a really good plan for all of it. That's what it looks like to trust God. That's what it looks like. It isn't how he feels. But he doesn't walk by feel. He's walking by faith. Do you get it? That's what it looks like to trust God. I feel like dirt today do you know what those people did to me? Do you know how hurtful their words were to me? I lost my job again. My parents are breaking up. I feel like garbage on the inside, but God, I know you got me. I don't feel it, but I'm going to live like it. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to keep smiling. I'm going to keep singing praises to God. I'm going to keep studying his word. I'm going to keep walking by faith even though I want to go curl up and hide. I'm going to keep walking by faith even though I want to walk out in public with a mask on like everything's all good. This is what trusting God looks like. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's another passage in God's word. See if you hear it again. Proverbs 3 starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. You know what people who feel insecure wish they had? A little bit of healing and a little bit of strength. Here it is. If We trust the Lord. So next Sunday morning, I might wake up and have a headache but I'm coming to church. And tomorrow morning, I make, I might wake up and have 30 things on my schedule, but I'm reading God's Word. And next Saturday morning, I'm going to want to lay around and watch all the college pregames, because I love it. But I'm going to drag myself out of the bed, go to our living room, and get on my knees with my kids, and we're going to do family devotions together. I'm going to wake up on Tuesday morning and not feel like driving my kids to school, but I'm going to put a smile on and we're going to get in the car and we're going to sing praises to Jesus while we drive to school. And I don't always feel like it, but I don't live by feel. I want to live by faith. Do you understand? Those of you who are here that are insecure, feeling like it's overwhelming, you. all you got to do today is just take a step. Just take a step. I don't know what the step is. You know Is the step that you need an honest prayer to the Lord where you say, check me out on the inside, God, and point out all all the ways I'm screwing up your plan and then make it obvious how I should go the other direction? Because maybe it isn't what they said and maybe it isn't what they did and maybe it isn't what's happened. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's that my attitude towards adversity has not been healthy. Maybe it's my approach to my faith has been selfish instead of selfless. Maybe it's me. Just maybe. Maybe not. But maybe. Maybe that's your step today. Maybe the step for you is going to some people who love Jesus and being like, can you point out some things in my life I'm doing wrong? I promise I won't hate you for it. If you say something I'm doing that's wrong, I'm not going to treat you like the enemy after that. Maybe that's your step. Maybe this step for you is like, I know what God says to do, but I love that person. I can't get out of that relationship. Maybe it's time to step. Maybe for you, it's like, I know that's the wrong job for me. It keeps me out of all Christian community. It makes me work every Sunday, every Wednesday. Can't ever go to life group. Can't ever be around other Christians. And the environment there, it's ugly. It's hate-filled. People just drag me down. Step. 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 I don't know. I don't know what the step is for you. I just know that all of us battle insecurity. And I know that God gives us all a step to take. What's your step? Embracing your uniqueness? Working on your sound mind? Trusting God when something hurts? Walking past your feelings and living with faith instead? I don't know, but you know. You know, if you're really honest with yourself. Can I pray that you'll have courage? That God will just bless you right now with some courage to take a step today, a step to commit to something you've been hiding from, to invite something you've been resisting, to walk into something you've been running away from. Can I just pray for God to give you courage today to make that kind of decision? Let's pray together. You ready? Dear God, we need you. We're all so insecure on the inside, we all feel inadequate, we all feel inferior. We all feel incapable. God, will you just bless us right now with the courage it'll take to go out of here and make one step, just one step of faith, to invite you to examine us, to invite people to critique us, to commit to something, to honor your truth, to walk past our feelings and walk into faith? God, would you give us that kind of courage? We need it. We need it because we don't want to be insecure the rest of our lives. We want peace. Will you bless us with that kind of courage today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.